Who here loves the idea of love? Anybody? You're like, I love love. You can say it. All right. Who gets excited on Valentine's Day? Anybody? No? I don't. Well, no, I do now because I'm married. My wife will give me like a Valentine. But in school, it was always like, that person that I love is never going to give me a Valentine. I want to go cry in the corner. Like, that's, that's just how it was. Um, I like love, though. It's a splendid thing. It's awesome. I remember the first time I think I felt it was, or what I thought was love. We'll call it puppy love, but I was in uh, kindergarten, and there's this girl named Sarah. She was so cute. She wore these little flower dresses, and I used to, like, hold her hand and walk around the playground, and people were like, ooh, and then she moved to Mexico, and haven't seen her since. So I don't know what happened to her. She literally could be, I don't even know. But you know what? I don't care. Um, Sarah in kindergarten. A band called The Beatles sang a song called All You Need Is Love. I don't know if I agree with that. I don't know if all you need is necessarily just love. I think you probably need to eat food. If you just eat love, like someone like gives you like a, a Valentine heart, you're like, yes, and you eat that, you'll probably die after a while. So you need a little bit more. You need some food. You need some water, some nutrition, some nutrients, that sort of thing. Um, <laughs> I think sometimes we have some bad examples of love, especially from Disney movies, right? Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Give me an idea. Like what, what, what Disney movie do you think is the worst example of love? Yeah. Snow White, let's see what that one is. It's like, okay, if you're really pretty, go run into the woods and live with a bunch of short guys, and then when you get poisoned, just go to sleep, and when the first guy who kisses you, just marry that guy. Yeah? That's, that's love, I guess. Yeah. Beauty and the Beast. Beauty and the Beast is amazing in how bad it is in portraying love. <laughs> Girls, if a big, scary man beats up your dad and threatens to throw him in his creepy tower, don't go live in his creepy tower and then fall in love with him. That's... That's called Stockholm Syndrome. It's where you fall in love with your captors. Uh, it's, it's not a good thing. Uh, Beauty of the Beast is super weird. Um, what's another one? Yeah, Evan. Uh, the beginning of Frozen. Beginning of Frozen. Oh, man. I, like, I've only seen it once. What happens at the beginning of Frozen? He falls in love with Hans. Yeah, and like, they're like, we just met. Let's get married. And then he turns out to be like an evil dude, right? Spoiler alert. Oh, my gosh. Hope I didn't just ruin that for anybody. Um, man, that guy, though, that guy, Hans, like, well, no, the only thing about Hans is when I think of a Disney villain, I think of, like, Jafar or Scar or Ursula or Captain Hook. There's something about Hans, like, I don't think he's ever going to make it into, like, the Disney Villain Hall of Fame. He doesn't really seem like a villain. He just seems like kind of a bad dude, like a selfish guy, but he's not really, like, Frozen was weird because it didn't have a definitive Disney villain. And for a second, did you think... I thought Elsa was going to be the bad guy, too. I was like, watch the movie, and I was like, this is weird. Like, the good guy's the bad guy, and she's shooting ice sticks out of her hand and creating giant abominable snowmen. It was, we're so far off the topic. Okay, we got to keep going. All right. <clears throat> I think the best example of love, honestly, is Jesus. You look in the Bible, there's nowhere else in the entire universe where you can find a better picture of what love is than looking at Jesus. And there's a reason for that. It's because the Bible says, in the beginning... There was God, and God was love. You see, the thing you need to understand about our God is he's just, he's so excited to love you guys. Like, he's so just 
thrilled to love you. Like everything about him, the Bible says God is like the very idea of love. Like can you imagine if someone was the very idea of something? Like if like, like I am the very concept of chocolate. You're like, what? It's like, yeah, if you come over to me, if you like smell me, I'll smell like chocolate. You can like rip off my arm and eat it like a chocolate arm and I'll grow another. Like everything about me is chocolatey. That's the thing it is with God. Everything about him is loving. He is so excited and so just stoked out of his mind to create you because he wants a relationship with you because he wants to love you. And people drifted away from God. And Jesus, when he came to earth, he was all about like, how can I... God become a man and hang out with people and show them love face to face as a real person. Not just as some distant God up in the sky, but God was like, I've got to come down to earth. I'm going to send my son, Jesus, and he's going to show the world exactly how much I love them. So it's the kind of love that we're really looking for. Let's, let's look at Mark chapter three and let's just take a look. I want you guys to see the love of Jesus and what it looks like. So this is verse one. He entered the synagogue. Who knows what a synagogue is? What would that kind of look like? Yeah, Hunter. Was that like a Jewish temple? Yeah, it was like kind of a Jewish temple. It, was, it, was more, it wasn't really the temple as much as it was just kind of like a local church. It was just where people would come and they'd read the Bible and they'd study it together. Um, they'd read the Old Testament. So uh, Jesus entered the synagogue again and a man who was there had a withered hand. So they watched him closely whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. So Jesus said to the man who had a withered hand, hey you, come here, step forward. Then he said to them, because Jesus was like a crazy mind reader, like that'd be a bummer. Uh, You know, if you're in a room with somebody, you're like thinking like, "Mm, I don't really like the shirt they're wearing. It looks stupid. And they're like, hey, I heard that. Like what? Oh my gosh. That's that's what happened. Jesus would read these guys' minds and he'd say what they were thinking. So um, there's all these religious people there at the church, obviously. Um, these guys were called Pharisees and they would basically sit around and make rules and decide, you know, you're not dressed the right way to be spiritual enough. You don't look good enough to be close enough to God. You haven't followed enough rules to be close to God. These guys were constantly judging everybody. And right now they're judging Jesus and Jesus being the the freaky mind reader that he is, is totally reading these guys' minds. So, uh, verse four, then he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save a life, or to kill. You see, what you need to understand is the Sabbath, that was like their special day, their holy day, and God, okay, uh, let me see if I can describe where it came from. You guys know the story of Genesis where God created the world in six days? Well, on the seventh day, it says that God rested. He was like, I don't really think he was tired. I don't think God was like, you know, I imagine kind of like the genie in Aladdin when he's just like, hey, what do you need? What do you need? And he's just like making stuff. I imagine him kind of like making the world. You know, he's like, oh, plants, oh, animals. You know, he's, he's making things. And then when he's done, he was like, oh, I'm so tired. Oh, I need a little God nap. Like that's not what happened. He didn't just like go to bed. What he was doing is, you know, he was showing us that rest is actually a good thing. Like getting a good night's sleep, uh, getting some time off when you have vacation, things like that. God's not like you, slacker, how dare you sleep? No, God, God rested because he wanted to show us that he created sleep. He created rest. It's a good thing. We don't have to always just be freaking out and doing things all the time. God rested on the seventh day. 
And then he said to us, hey, I want you guys to rest on the seventh day. I want you guys to have one day where you don't work. For you guys, that would be a Saturday because you're not at school. One day where, you know, you're not really doing anything. You're hanging out. You're reading your Bible. You're praying. You're talking to God. It's a rest day where you can enjoy yourself. You can, you can play some video games. God doesn't care. You can watch some TV. God doesn't care. But find some time to spend time with God during that day, and you'll be having a good, good Sabbath. But you know what happened was the Pharisees decided to complicate things. They made all these crazy rules. They were like, you know what? The Sabbath isn't just a day of rest. The Sabbath is a day of freaking out because you've got to be so worried that everyone's watching you find out what are you doing. You dropped your donkey in a hole on the Sabbath. Like, no, I didn't. My donkey just wandered in the hole. But then you pulled it out. Well, yeah, my donkey will die. That's work. You're working on the Sabbath. You are bad. Ooh, I judge you. That's what the Pharisees would do. Your shoelace comes untied. You bend over to tie it. They're like, oh, sinner. Like, what? Are you kidding me? Like, I'm exaggerating. But really, the, the Pharisees were super obsessed with, like, they were just constantly looking. And especially at Jesus, they didn't like Jesus because Jesus said he was the son of God. And they were like, no way. The son of God's going to be way cooler than you. But Jesus is like, no, really. Like, I'm the real deal. I'm God. So, He says to them, verse 4, read it again, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to kill? See, the withered man with the hand, he's coming forward and the Pharisees are looking at him and they're like, what's he going to do? Is he going to heal that hand? Is he going to heal it? And Jesus could heal it. And if he healed, they're going to be like, oh, you worked. And Jesus would probably just be like, it wasn't a big deal. I'm God. I can just like snap my fingers. It wasn't like I was like for hours performing surgery on this hand. I'm just like, bing, and and it's done. But the Pharisees were just like, if you heal somebody on the Sabbath, that's work, and you're violating the pharisaical law. Jesus says, is it against the law to do something good on the Sabbath? That's basically what he's saying. He's like, are you guys for real? Like, if there's a little kid who's thirsty and I go get him a cup of water, is that against the law on the Sabbath? If if there's somebody who's got a cold and I go and buy them some allergy medicine, or some cold medicine and give it to them? Is that against the law? If there's a hungry person and I go buy him a chicken wing and give it to them, is that against the pharisaical law? What is wrong with you people? Yes, I know God wants us to rest on the Sabbath, but I don't think he has a problem with me healing this guy's hand. That's a blessing. That's a good thing. That's going to make his Sabbath way better. That's going to make him have a really good Sabbath day. So the Pharisees kept silent. They were like, they were just given the, the glare, you know, like, the, the, the mean face, you know? And it just, I bet their eyebrows just continued to furrow up more and more, and they got angrier and angrier, I'm assuming. And if I was Jesus, I'd just be laughing at them. Um, verse 5. And when he had looked at them with anger, Jesus was actually, Jesus was giving his own mean face back. They were like, and Jesus was like, like he's, they're, they're doing like an angry stare. Jesus, verse 5. When he had looked at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, He said to the man, stretch out your hand, and he stretched it out, and his hands were restored. His hands were completely healed. Then the Pharisees went and go plotted to kill him, because for some reason healing people is a really bad thing. I don't know, the Pharisees are weird. That's that's not what I'm going to focus on today, though. I've got something else I want to focus about today. So, we are talking about the man with the withered hand. There's a few things I want you guys to think about as it relates to this man, okay? Think with me. Like, picture yourself 
in the synagogue. You're in the church. You're part of the crowd members. Jesus is up there. He's teaching in the church. He used to do that. He'd show up to church. He'd get out his scroll. He'd teach it. Sometimes he'd say like really crazy things. He'd be like, and then I will come and set the captives free and I will come and uh, save everybody and I'm the son of God. And then he'd be like, hey, guess what? That verse is about me. And everyone was like, what are you? This is amazing. Some people were like, he's crazy. Other people were like, this is awesome. This guy is the best teacher I've ever heard. He teaches with authority. Jesus is in the church, he's teaching, and this guy shows up, and this guy, I mean, you got to imagine him, he's, you know, shrunk down, just kind of like hobbled over, and he's got this hand, you know, and, and a withered hand, it was kind of like, like a shrunken hand, like a baby hand. It's like a grown man with a baby hand. Now, if you're a grown man with a baby hand, are you happy about that? No. Are you proud of that? Are you like going around like, hey, check out my baby hand. It's like a baby's hand. Someone give me a bottle. Like that's, that's not what was going on. This guy was bummed out about his baby hand. It was shriveled up. It's got some sores on it. You know, it's, it's a nasty, just withered, shriveled up, wrinkly sack of hand skin. Like it's just, it's no good. This guy is bummed out about his withered hand. Now, his hand was important. Everyone's hand is important. I'm assuming this was his right hand. He was a right-handed man, probably. And, or he would have been a right-handed man, is what I'm trying to say. Because check it out. A couple things about this hand. One, shameful. Like I said, it's embarrassing. If you guys haven't already picked up, I mean, who here can admit to at times, as an American teenager, to be a little bit judgmental? Does anyone want to just admit to that? I will... I am judgmental. I am a judgmental person at times. It's so easy for us to look at someone and be like, you know, have you, ever, have you ever, honestly, have you ever looked at someone and because their hair looked bad that day, you're like, I don't know what I think about that person. Like, sometimes we can do that. Or someone's outfit, we can look at the way someone's dressing and we just, we immediately form opinions about them. You ever do that? You look at somebody, they could be brilliant, but because they have a weird outfit, you're like, they're probably dumb. They probably shop at the dumb store. Like, that's, just by what they're wearing, sometimes we can form those opinions about people. I'm, I'm super self-conscious of that. Sometimes I walk down the street, I'm like, I wonder what people think of me based on the way I look. Because in my mind, I look like good. And I look in the mirror and I'm like, oh, dang. Um, maybe you feel that same way. For this guy, he's in a really judgmental place. I mean, the, like I said, the Pharisees, super judgmental. Most of the Jews, very judgmental. They would look at this guy with the withered hand, and you know what they thought? They thought, he must have sinned. He must have stolen something with that hand. And God was like, bing, and his hand shriveled up. Ooh, that sinner. Oh, that bad, bad man. He deserves that hand. Sometimes we can be just as judgmental. I was hanging out with some kids, and uh, we were talking about things, and it kind of came up like, you know, I know some people where if you looked at them, you wouldn't even think they were Christians. And I was like, what are you talking about? And we were talking about it, and it was a good conversation, but it kind of opened my eyes. Like, sometimes we can look at people, and maybe they've got a tattoo, or maybe they're wearing, you know, some dark kind of emo goth clothes, or maybe they've got some gangster clothes on, or whatever, you know, and most of us, most of us here, we are very clean-cut, plaid shirt, plaid shorts, like, just 
we, you know, we all shop at like Target and The Gap or whatever. Like, you know what I mean? We, we're very clean cut looking people, most of us here in this group. And sometimes people in this group, it's very, this is good. This is good for you guys to hear. Sometimes we can look at people and because maybe they've got a tattoo or maybe they're smoking a cigarette. That's, that was my thing when I was a kid. I saw someone smoking a cigarette. I'm like, oh, they're on the one-way ticket train to hell. And I didn't even know there wasn't a verse that was like, if thou smoketh a cigarette, thou shalt die. There's no such verse. It's bad for you, but to be honest, eating a gallon of ice cream is probably worse than smoking one cigarette. So, uh, like health-wise, like eating one gallon of ice cream by yourself, that's probably just as bad for you. So why don't we judge the ice cream eaters? I don't know. Weird. Anyway, bo bottom line, we can be judgmental of people by the way they dress, the way they look, their hair. We can just judge people. We can say, oh, these guys, they look like Christians. These guys, they don't look like Christians. These are the Christian-looking people, and these are the bad-looking people. That's what the, the Pharisees, the, the Israelites, they saw this man with the withered hand. It's like, this is a bad man. This is a bad man. He hadn't done anything wrong. It was a burden for him because back then, if you were a left-handed man with a shriveled up right hand, you couldn't get a job. Back, like, it's weird how prejudiced they were back then. Like nowadays, if I meet a guy with a left hand, I'm not like, you sinner! Like, I don't do that. If I see a guy with a left hand, I'm like, what's up? And I'll high five him with my left hand, you know, if I recognize that. Sometimes I have something in all my hands. I've some, I've, I'm carrying things and I've got my left hand free and I shake someone with my left hand. You know, it's, it's not a big deal these days. In India, it is a big deal because that's the hand they wipe with. They don't have toilet paper. So like right hand is like, yeah, shaking hands with people, eating things. Left hand is like, I'm just going to keep this behind my back because it's nasty. That's, don't, yeah. If you go to India, be prepared. Um, I had a friend. You know what? God might call you there and then you'll just be like, and then you will just bring your own toilet paper. That's what I'll say. Just don't bring anything except just tons of toilet paper. Okay, anyway, it was a burden because this guy couldn't get a job. He couldn't get a job. No one would hire him. He couldn't work as a blacksmith. He couldn't work as a carpenter like Jesus. He couldn't do anything. People saw this left-handed man. It's like, this guy can't do anything. We, like, we don't want him. Put him on the streets, make him a beggar. That's what happened with two guys with withered hands. They were on the streets, just like the blind guys, begging. Now, there's two different ways we can see this guy. Two different eyes we can look at this guy. You're like, Aaron, I have two eyes. Like, of course. No, that's not what I'm saying. Two different viewpoints. There's two different views. And these views are so common. But if you're like me, most of the time, we see with the first view. The first view is just seeing people with the eyes of man. That's so easy because it's built into your nature and DNA. We see people, like it's just natural. We see people and we draw conclusions. We see someone and the way they look, we immediately start forming an opinion about them. The minute we hear their voice, we start forming an opinion about them. We can be very judgmental. Now the Pharisees, they saw with the eyes of man. And you know what? They look at this guy, they didn't see a life. They didn't see a life, they saw a law. They didn't see a life, they saw a law. Here's what I mean by that. They see a guy, they see his withered hand, they see Jesus trying to heal him, and all they're thinking about is, there's a rule being broken, there's a rule being broken, this is bad, this is bad, sound the alarm. Sometimes we can do the same thing. We see someone, maybe it's your friend, 
Maybe some of you guys who maybe are a little bit more religious than others and you follow all the rules and stuff and you see someone in the youth group breaking a rule. Maybe it's at a home fellowship and you're alarmed. Oh, they said a cuss word. Oh, I'm going to die. Then you, you start freaking out. I've had people run to me, Aaron, someone cussed at home fellowship. My whole world is exploding. Like, it's like, and I mean, yeah, it's, it's not good to cuss, but it's not like world ending that we need to like, Treat someone like they're some horrible, dirty, rotten sinner for doing it. We're all dirty, horrible, rotten sinners. We've all done terrible things. We shouldn't be judging one another. That's what we can do sometimes. We see somebody and we see a rule. We see a law that's being broken, but we don't see a life. See, a lot of times that person that you see and maybe they're swearing, maybe they're drinking at a young age, maybe they are whatever. Fill in the blank. Whatever it is at your school or your, you know, the people you look, think in your mind, the people you look at, I want you to think in your mind, who's the worst people in your class? Just think in your mind, like the, the guy's like, oh, that's the bad guy. That's the school bully. Or that's the just, that's the horrible, nasty girl, you know? And you think of these people in your mind. Every single one of those people is not just a rule being broken. They're a life. Those people have had struggles and hard things in their life. They've had divorced parents. They've had fathers abandoning them. They've had sometimes abuse done to them. There's been terrible things in these people's lives. So many of the time, they have their own story that led them up to that point where maybe they're being disrespectful in class or maybe they're sinning all over the place, but they're not just rules being broken. They're a life. And that's what Jesus sees. He sees someone and he sees that person is not the enemy. Sometimes we get in our mind, Christians, we're the good guys. Non-believers, they're the bad guys. We're the good guys in the, in the war. They're the enemies. Especially, I, I feel this way when it comes to homosexuality. Um, I brought up homosexuality before and the response I've gotten from some kids in the youth group is, those people are sick and nasty and we should put them on an island and nuke it. It's like, What? I've heard that before. And the problem is, what happens, the problem is, we're looking at people and we're calling people the enemy. When the Bible says our enemy is not flesh and blood, our enemy is not human beings, our enemy we can't see. It's the devil, it's his demons. They're the ones who are controlling people. They're the ones who are influencing people. People are never the enemy. They're just victims in the spiritual war. And that's what you need to realize. People should be looked at and not us judging them. Oh, those sinners. Oh, they disgust me. But instead, we should look at them and go, that's terrible. They're victims. They're being attacked by Satan. Satan is after them. I want them to know Jesus. I need to pray for them. I was guilty of this recently over the last couple years, watching Miley Cyrus just turn into the person she is now. And I remember just being so judgmental. I remember when she started coming out with some of her part in USA music and I was just like, man, it's only a matter of time before she just does all the same stuff that Britney Spears and those guys did. You know, just you guys wait. She's going to go off the deep end, you know, and I started watching and I was like, yeah, you know, and she started doing more and more crazy stuff. And I was like, oh, so, oh, she's so disappointed. She calls herself a Christian. Oh, this, oh, Miley Cyrus. And then, you know, the big thing at the VMAs and I was just like, Oh, I knew it. I told you all. Oh, that sinner. 
And the Lord convicted me. It was like, why are you looking at her and going, that terrible, terrible sinner, how dare she? And instead, why aren't you looking at her and seeing her as a victim in a war against the devil? Why aren't you seeing her as someone who needs Jesus? If you spent half the time praying for her that you did complaining about her, don't you think there'd be a difference? I think that's the truth. We need to see people not as a law, but as a life. Here's the next thing. The Pharisees, they looked at this man and they didn't see a need for grace, but they saw a need for guilt. I think a lot of times we have in our mind where we just, we want to guilt people. Like we see somebody doing something that's wrong and we want to tell them like, that's a thin. You're a sinful sinner. I just want you to know, because I love you, you are just a sinful, sinful sinner and you're just sinning all over the dang place. You should go and just die in a thin hole. <laughs> like a, just a pit full of sin? I, I don't know. Hell? No. Anyway. We can see people and we can see a need for guilt and not a need for grace. So you need to understand what grace is. Grace is being given something that we don't deserve. Mercy is being spared from something you do deserve. Grace and mercy, God gives them to us, they go hand in hand. For instance, if I go punch an old lady in the face and her lumberjack husband is standing next to her, I deserve to either get chopped in half with an axe or at least a good solid punch, no, two punches, you know, because I punched her once, now bam, bam, revenge, revenge punch. But if the old man, lumberjack, you know, if he's like, honey, should I give him a good old one-two? And the lady's like, no, give him mercy. God bless you, son. So mercy. I deserve two good punches in the face and probably a kick in the chin. The guy's really flexible. He's a really flexible lumberjack. <laughs> but mercy is getting spared what I deserve. And God gave you guys mercy. We all, like, no matter how good you think you are, even the tiniest little white lie is enough to separate us from God. See, God doesn't send people to hell. I don't think so. I think what God does do is he wants people to near to him, but sin creates a wall between us. It's not like when you sin, God's like, oh, you blew it. That's not how it works. You have to think of it like when we sin, it's like this wall, this big brick black wall between us and God forms. Or even better, when we sin, it's like a big gap, a big deep canyon. It's like we're standing next to God, just like Adam and Eve were in the garden, and we sin. Just one little white light. It doesn't have to be like, I murdered a town full of leprechauns. <laughs> I am terrible. God's like, oh, big gap between us now, fool. No, you tell one little white light, it's still a big gap. It's like God is allergic to sin. Have you ever seen anyone with like a peanut allergy? And then like, it's like, you know, it's not like you have to go like, hey, I'm going to feed you every peanut in the world. Then you'll die. <laughs> no, it's like you, just one little bit of peanut. You know, like I know some people, they're like, ah, is that a Snickers? Get it away from me. Like there's some people with a peanut allergy where it's just like they can't handle anything with anything related to peanuts. It's the same way with God. He's so just, he is so holy. It's not that he's like allergic. God's not some like, you know, guy with allergies. But he's so perfect. He's so holy that one drop of sin is enough to separate us from him. It's not that God is like, you sinners, I'm throwing you all in the pit. But when we sin, it opens up that gap between us. And we deserve to be separated from God for our sin. 
We break God's rules. We deserve that. But God loved us so much that he said, I'm going to give you mercy because you deserve to die, but I'm going to give you a way to not die. I'm going to give you a way to not only live on this earth, but to live forever. And that's why he gave us Jesus. See, mercy is getting, it's not getting what you deserve, but grace is getting what you don't deserve. It's like when you go and your mom's like, did you take out the trash? No. Did you clean your room? No. Did you do anything I asked you to do in this list of 30 things? No, I stink. Well, here's some cookies, because I love you. What? Moms are cool when they do that. Moms are always cool. Sometimes God says, you don't deserve anything. You don't deserve love. You broke my rules. You separated yourself from me by sinning. But I love you so much, I'm going to give you what you don't deserve. I'm going to give you Jesus. But the Pharisees, they just want to give guilt. And guilt is something that drives people even farther away from God. Because guilt makes us focus on our sins. And I don't know about you, but the more I focus on my sins, the more I just find myself doing them because I'm thinking about my sins. The more I'm just like, oh, I'm such an angry person or I'm such a disrespectful person, I just, I get bummed out about myself. And then next thing you know, I'm doing those same things. Right? But if our focus is on the one who gives us grace... That everything changes. Okay, now this is really important. Number three, the Pharisees saw, they didn't see a hurt, but they saw an opportunity to hurt. This is really important, especially in your schools. This is sad. This is really sad. A lot of kids see when they look at each other, they don't see a hurt but they see an opportunity to hurt. I don't know what it is about our human nature, but sometimes when we see a wound, instead of going, oh, that person's hurt, there's a wound. I'm gonna go get some bandages, and I'm gonna go bandage that person up, I'm gonna heal their wound. Instead, there's something in our sick, twisted nature that goes, oh, that person has a wound, I'm gonna stick my sword in the wound and twist it around. Like, there's just something ridiculous about us. Here's what I mean by that, okay? There was a kid I knew here at the school. Awesome guy. He is a worship leader now uh, in churches. Uh, he went off to some cool Bible college, and he's doing missions work in Asia. Really cool guy. I love the guy. When we were in school together, though, this guy, he was really close with his mom. Didn't really have a dad in his life for a while, so he's really close with his mom. He ended up kind of talking with a lisp, he ended up kind of acting a little bit more feminine than other guys. He, uh, you know, he was really into like playing instruments and, and he got along better with the girls really than he did the guys, you know? He had a lot of hurt in his life from some divorce that happened. He was a very vulnerable guy. And people saw the wounds in his life and instead of going like, I want to be that guy's friend. He needs a friend. People just called him gay all the time. They just put him down, and they called him gay. And they were, like, constantly making fun of him. And I'm ashamed to admit it, there were a couple of times I even joined in. Because I particularly, growing up, didn't like the guy. Him and I got on each other's nerves. And that's wrong. Sometimes we can see a hurt that someone has. Like, like I said, it's going back to seeing with those eyes. Because remember the first thing, they didn't see a life, they saw a law. Sometimes we look at people and we don't think about their life. 
Think about your life and everything you've been through. All the hard things, all the good things. All the happy things, all the sad things. All the struggles, all the victories. Think about your life and what makes up your 12-year-old, 13-year-old, 14-year-old life. Every single person has their own life and their own story. But sometimes we're so focused on our own life and our own story that everyone else just becomes a supporting character in our movie. And we're the hero. And so everything we do is good and everything anyone else does that we don't agree with is bad. And we're not looking at it as our life is Jesus' story and we're parts of his movie. But instead it's all about us. And that's why it's so easy for us to be mean to other people. I mean, that was really hard for that kid. I remember. He struggled with that. He had a hard time with that. It was very, very difficult for my friend. And it was so sad that we joined in on that. And I don't care if it's calling somebody gay or fat or ugly or stupid or just whatever. It's really hard being a kid. It's hard enough being a junior high kid than to have people making fun of you. And I know none of you guys like that when people do it to you. I want you guys to understand how painful and hurtful it can be when we do it to others. Don't make my mistake and join in when everyone else is doing it, but stand up. See, that's what Jesus does. He sees a hurt. They see an opportunity to hurt. Hey, that person's slow, or that person can't figure out the math problem. I'm gonna make fun of them. I'm gonna stick my sword in the wound. That person, they are grumpy because they have a whole life and a backstory and things in their life that have happened that have made them that way. But instead of caring about all those things and, and seeing a hurt and trying to help them, I'm just gonna be like, hey, why are you so grumpy all the time? You jerk, you're such a jerk. That person's so mean. I'm gonna gossip about them. You see what I'm talking about? Think about the person in your class who just annoys the heck out of you. Think about the person in your life who just drives you crazy. That was this kid, the same kid I'm talking about who we, we all call them gay at times. People I knew much more so, it was a constant thing. Eventually, when I got <coughs> about halfway through junior high, I realized that was wrong and I started to become friends with this guy. But I don't want you guys to wait that long, especially you sixth graders, to realize that we shouldn't be doing those things to people. When we see a hurt, it's time to get out the medicine back. When we see a hurt, it's time to go healing. That's one of the main reasons Jesus put you on this earth. If you're sitting here today, and you're like, I'm a junior high kid, I have nothing to do. I gotta wait till I grow up and I can become a pastor. Like, no, like you guys honestly have a bigger mission field than I do. You guys have a bigger opportunity to be missionaries. I can't go to your public middle school and sit in your classrooms every day with you. I'm here at this school with Christians, which is awesome, and I love hanging out with Christians and strengthening Christians and telling Christians about Jesus, but you guys have a mission field. You are surrounded by non believers. You are surrounded by people who don't know Jesus. And if you show the love of Jesus to people, that changes everything. We need to look with the eyes of God, not the eyes of man. We need to see a life, not a law. We need to see a need for grace, not a need for guilt. And we need to see the hurts in people around us, not opportunities to hurt people. Do you know how you can heal people? You can heal them by being loving to them. Go sit by that kid at the lunch table who no one ever sits by. Go give a Bible verse to that kid who's just depressed all the time. They'll be like, what the heck, I'm not even a Christian. Just give them the word of God and see what it does. Print it out, write it down on a piece of paper, go hand it to them and say, hey, you need to read this. They might reject you, but you're showing them God's love. The word of God is powerful. 
Read about what Jesus did. Open up the Gospel of Mark or Luke or Matthew or John and read for yourself what Jesus did and try to become more like him. Not perfect. You're never gonna be perfect. That's where grace and mercy comes in. But if you show up to school and you've been reading about Jesus and you're like, I am gonna go, I am just, I'm not gonna be focused on myself, trying to get to the top of the popularity chain, trying to make sure I don't do anything embarrassing so that I stay cool and I'm not as cool as these people. I'm cool right here. I'm not lame like these guys. I gotta stay right here in this group and it's so crazy because if I do anything weird or awkward, then I'm gonna get be down here and I'm gonna be a loser. It's like, don't even care about that stuff. I know it's hard. But realize, we're only on this earth for a short amount of time and then we're in heaven with Jesus. We're only here for a certain amount of time right? But the kingdom of God is eternal. One of the things Jesus says is he teaches his disciples how to pray, and he says, I want God's will of God's kingdom, like the way God's entire structure is set up, I want that here on earth. One day we'll be in heaven, but I want people to be acting on heaven or I want people to be acting on earth the way we're going to act in heaven. Don't just be like, I'm a Christian, see you in heaven, I'm going to live the life the way I want. But instead, act as if you were already living in heaven. If we were living in heaven, wouldn't we be nicer to people? Yes. If we were living in heaven, wouldn't we be kinder to people? Yes. If we were living in heaven, wouldn't we be much less selfish? Yes. The Bible says we're citizens of heaven. The Bible says that that's our home. And we should live in light of that. We shouldn't just act like earthlings because we're different. We're set apart. So when you show up on, in school, you got to remember it's not about being popular. It's not about getting through. It's about being the best example of Jesus Christ that you can be to every single person around you. Desire the eyes of Jesus. Ask for the eyes of Jesus. Jesus sees people who need love grace, restoration. And listen, I'm going to close with this, okay? Let's look really quick at the end of the chapter. Or not the end of the chapter, but the end of these verses. Thanks for staying with me, guys. I know I'm not super funny today. A little bit more serious of a message, but I appreciate you guys paying attention. Um, verse 5 says, When he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved in his hearts by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, Stretch out your hand, and he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. This man comes in, he's got his withered hand, it's his thing, he's bummed out about it, it's got him held back from doing anything, he feels like people judge him by it, he feels like people are angry at him about it, and Jesus says, I want you to stretch out your hand. Now, can you imagine really quick how difficult that would be? He's in a public place. He's in a church. And Jesus says, stretch out your hand. This guy doesn't know he's gonna be healed. This guy doesn't know what's gonna happen. He's saying, hey, you know that embarrassing thing you're ashamed of? Put it out there for everyone to see. Can you imagine that? He's got his hand all cloaked up. And Jesus is asking him, hey, stretch out that hand. That's difficult. It's difficult to bring out the things we're ashamed of. It's difficult to be real about who we really are. That guy could have had some coat with deep pockets. He could have been, you know, walking around like this, pretending he didn't have that withered hand. But Jesus knew. That's the thing. We've all got our sins. We've all got our withered hands. 
What I mean by that is we've all got the sins that we hide, the sins we're ashamed of, the things we're bummed about, the things we just can't just, maybe it's your relationship with your parents, your dad or your mom. You know, you try to be a good Christian kid, but you just can't get along with them. You just fight and fight and fight. And you, it just, you struggle so much because you show up at church and you want to be a good Christian kid and you want to do good. And then you go home and you get in another fight and you mess up and you make a mistake. And that can be our withered hand. We're, we're always carrying around something. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's guilt for something that you've done in the past that you've never told anybody about, but it's just you're carrying it around. Fill in the blank, whatever it is for you. There's so many different things. Maybe it's depression. Maybe it's just sadness all the time. Or maybe it's anger and bitterness towards someone else. Whatever it is, whatever sin, fill in the blank. That can be what we're carrying around so much. And Jesus says, I want you to stretch that out so I can see it. And you know what this means sometimes? See, we don't like thinking about our sin. We don't like thinking about it. We like sinning, because we do. We do like sinning. And then we sin, and we're just kind of like, oh, moving on. Uh, please forgive me. Uh, uh, don't want to think about it. Uh, I sin. Oh, I, I was angry. Uh, oh, lustful. Uh, don't want to think about it. Oh, I gossiped. Oh, that was bad. Uh, uh. And I don't know about you, but if you're like me, when I sin, I tend to just go, oh, moving on. Just not going to deal with it. But what Jesus calls us to do is stretch out that withered hand so that he can see it. You know what that means sometimes? That means you getting on your knees at home and saying, God, I'm a sinner. This is what I did. This is how I feel about it. I need your help. Do you understand how much different that is than just sitting and going, oh, please forgive me, <laughs> moving on. If we never stop to actually think about our sin, if we never stop to actually consider that withered hand and what it is, if we never stretch it out so Jesus can look at it, nothing's really going to happen. We're just gonna keep sinning and keep messing up and keep doing the things we know that we're not supposed to do. But if you take the time to get on your knees with Jesus and say, Jesus, this is what I've done, I am a sinner. This is my struggle. This is this week. This is where I've had a hard time. I was disrespectful. I was angry. I gossiped, whatever. And you bring it out and you say, I really need help with this, Jesus. How often do we do that? How often do we actually sit down and say, this is where I messed up. This is where I need help. Please help me. When we do that, God honors it. That man with the withered hand, he stretched it out. He obeyed God. And it didn't matter what the Pharisees thought. It didn't matter. See, some people will judge you, but most people who are true followers of Jesus, they're not going to be judging you. That's why we have counselors here too. That's why I'm around. That's why Caleb and Brian and my wife and all the other counselors are around. If you guys ever need anyone to talk to, and you can let us know whatever you're struggling with, and we'll pray for you. I do this with kids all the time. They'll let me know, hey, I'm dealing with this, struggling with this. I've never told anybody can you help? And I'll say, you know what? I can't fix anything, but Jesus can. Let's pray. It's good that you've told someone because now I can keep you accountable. Jesus asked for the guy to stretch out his hand. And when he did, he was healed. So, let me close with this. God loves you so much. He cares about you guys so much. And he hates to see his children 
walking around with withered hands. He hates that. It makes him sad. It makes him angry. Not at you, but at the sin that you're walking around with. He hates that. It's, it'd be like if I had a child and there was a chihuahua biting it and that kid was just walking around with like just this angry chihuahua like hanging off his arm. I mean, if I was a good dad, would I be like, eh, it's not a big deal. No, I'd be like, you stinking chihuahua, get off my kid, right? Does that make sense? Sometimes sin is just hanging on to us. We've got chihuahua here, a piranha here, a snake coming out of our back of our neck. We've just got all these creepy, sinful things in our lives. And God says, I want to heal you. I love you. Stretch out your hand. Talk to me. Let me be with you. It's not, it doesn't have to be some crazy thing. You don't have to walk into the back of the youth group and while I'm teaching you be like, I must confess, I killed a town of leprechauns. Like that's, that's not what you have to say. But go to Jesus and tell him what's going on. Because remember, before you judge someone else, remember we all have things that people could easily judge us for. Be honest. We judge people, but if, ev- if everyone in this room knew every single thing you've ever done, every single thought you've ever thought, every single sin you've ever committed, would we all look at each other and be like, oh, they're such godly people? No, if, we, if every single one of us knew every single, single thing we've all done, we'd all be like, oh my gosh, I am in the most sinful room in the world. That's just the way the world is. We're all sinners. We've all messed up. Before we judge someone else, remember, we all have that withered hand. We have all have that mistake. So stretch it out to Jesus, ask him for help for it, ask to be healed, and then ask Jesus to help you be a part of healing other people. Be kind to one another, love one another, speak good things about one another, give each other hugs at your school, pray for one another, give out some Bible verses, learn what Jesus has to say and say it to other people. You might be 12 years old, but that doesn't mean you can't preach the gospel. You guys are awesome. You guys, you junior high boys in here, you guys are just great. And I see just God having such a plan for you guys to raise you guys up and to preach the gospel to people. That doesn't mean you have to be a street preacher, but with your lives, with the things you do, with the words you say, I just, I see Jesus being preached. You girls, you guys are awesome. So much, I see just some spiritual maturity in some of you guys. And I see a group of girls who's going to grow up and is just going to just change the world around them. You guys are going to preach the gospel. I can see that. And I hope for that and I pray for that. Preaching isn't just done up here. This is just for us as Christians. But you guys have the whole world out there to love. Not to judge, not to condemn, not to guilt trip, but a world out there to love and to pray for. A world out there to show who Jesus is. Let me pray for you guys. Love you guys. Dear Lord, I thank you so much. God, we want to we apologize for judging people so much. We want to apologize, God, for looking at people and seeing with the eyes of man. Sometimes we look at people, God, and we just, we see a rule that they're breaking. We can just, we look at someone and just go, their sin is what defines them. They're a thief. They're a murderer. They're homosexual. They're an adulterer. They're a bad person. We can look at people and we just, we just, their sin is all they are to us, God, but you see a person. You see a victim. You see someone who's losing in a battle against Satan. 
Someone who needs to be saved. Not someone who needs to be condemned, but someone who needs to be rescued. Jesus, change our eyes and change our minds that we would see the people around us as people who need your love. People who need to be saved. People who need you. Jesus, I pray that you would help us to do this, God. And for ourselves, help us to realize as much as we judge other people, we have our own sins. We have our hand that is withered. We have the mistakes we've made that we can carry around like a guilty backpack in Pilgrim's Progress. God, we ask that you would help us to lay down our burdens at your feet. If anyone here has something they'd feel like is a withered hand, something in their life you don't even have to tell me, but just, just acknowledging there's something in my life I'm bummed about, I've messed up, I'm bitter, I'm angry, I've sinned somewhere, I've done something, and I'm carrying it around, I'm guilty about it, and I'm bummed out about it, and I want to get rid of it. If anyone here feels that way, with everybody with their eyes closed, you can just raise your hand, and I'll pray for you. Anybody at all? Okay, good. I see ya. Anybody else? Cool. All right, awesome. A lot of people, that's, that's good. That's good that you guys are being honest. And right now what you guys are doing is you're, you're stretching out that hand, not to me, but to Jesus. So I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna lead you guys in a prayer and I want you guys to repeat in your hearts and in your heads with me. Dear Jesus, I've sinned, I've messed up, I've made mistakes. I pray, God, that you would heal me. I pray, God, that you would take my sin away. I pray, Jesus, that you would help me to walk with you. I pray, Jesus, that when I fall down and make mistakes and sin, that I wouldn't stay down, but that I would take your hand and I would get back up and I would keep following you. Help me, Lord, not to be held back by my sin, but I pray that you would take it from me. I pray you would free me from my sin. When I make mistakes, help me to repent right away and go to you. Help me, Lord, not to live in sin. Help me, God, to follow you. I ask that you would heal me. Lord, I thank you so much for these people who've prayed this. Um, I pray that you would free them, Lord, from the things that are holding them back. Even if it doesn't happen overnight, even if all of a sudden tomorrow they don't wake up and they're a perfect child and they never get in fights with their parents or whatever it is, even if it takes time to fully get over a sin, I pray you would help this group of kids to walk with you. Help them not to fall down and stay down. Help them to get up and keep moving. Help them to keep their eyes on you and remember they've been forgiven and set free. They're no longer slaves to sin. Help them to remember this. Help them to remember they are so loved. Help them to remember that you died for them on the cross to give them mercy and grace, not that we deserved it or earned it, but simply because you love us, Lord. We thank you so much for the story of the man with the withered hand, and we ask that you would just burn it into our hearts and help us to remember to see people with your eyes. In your name, everybody said, amen.